Well, folks, Gia Deebsha, it's Jerry Adams and Shaw Rish, Augusta Sola Gumsa, Goel Shibsha, Gulyar, Magadur. As I'm recording this podcast, the local news is filled with images and narrative around the deeply unacceptable. Uh, interference and skullduggery of a PSNI patrol when it attacked uh, families of those who had lost loved ones in the shooting attack, the mass murder attack in 1992 while they were commemorating the deaths of their friends and family members. And Friday the 5th of February was when this happened and that of course is the anniversary of that attack by the UDA on Graham's bookies on the Armour Road. Five people were killed and seven were injured. And each year the relatives and Friends and the local community hold a remembrance ceremony at the site of the attack. And this year, in keeping with the COVID restrictions, only relatives attended, they wore masks, and they were socially distanced. And you can see from the video footage the heavy-handed PSNI intervention, and this resulted in people being Deeply distressed, and one one man, Mark Sykes, who was shot four times in the original 92 attack, he was manhandled, handcuffed, and arrested. And this action and the video footage of it has caused widespread and very justifiable anger. And it's in marked contrast to the imagery from several days ago of PSNI officers failing to intervene when a group of masked loyalists roamed the Newton Arge Road. Now, for those of you who are familiar with this uh, sad story, the Ombudsman's report into the original mass killing has been delayed. And this is in part because information that was never disclosed to the police ombudsman's investigation was discovered on PSNI computers. So the PSNI had information about the massacre on their computers and this was not given to the ombudsman and the investigation that he was part of. Now, Murphy, who's solicitor for the relatives, has said that they're taking legal action against both the PSNI Chief Constable and the Ministry of Defence. And the families have said, and I quote, that both parties, that's the Chief Constable and the Ministry of Defence, were complicit in the atrocity and that both agencies facilitate the importation of the weapons used 
by means of supervising an arms importation from South Africa and also providing weapons from the Malone UDR barracks. And they also allege that state agencies were involved in planning the attacks with the UDA death squad responsible. So that's, that's the background to what we all saw and what we saw is totally and absolutely unacceptable. And the PSNI, and I have mixed feelings about all of this, but the PSNI have uh, done a huge damage to the still developing relationship with the nationalist and Republican people of the North. This was a standard of policing straight out of the old RUC rule book and it's totally and absolutely not acceptable. So I commend Michelle O'Neill who's demanded an urgent meeting with the Chief Constable and you know I, I, I know that this is the duty of our leaders to face the PSNI with their responsibility and the leadership of the PSNI in particular. But you know, the onus, common sense, treating people properly and decently is all part of community policing. I'm afraid we haven't got that yet. But anyway, that to one side, I was very taken by the machinations of the DUP over the Protocol 16 carry-on. And uh, I think the local Sinn Féin MLA, Philip McGuigan, has the right handle on it when he uh, criticised and raised questions about the DUP's intervention around these uh, alleged threats. Now, obviously, threats of any kind are, are wrong and are to be condemned, and workers have to be allowed to get on with their work without that type of uh, impediment and risk. But, you know, to to then move, as the DUP have, into some sort of, a, described as a five-point plan, uh, just reeks of uh, short-termism, opportunism. Uh, and for me, it's it's very simple, and I'm deeply wedded to the notion of power sharing and to building upon relationships and to moving into a united Ireland in which our unionist friends will find their place and have all of their rights underpinned and up, upheld. But let's call a spade a spade. Brexit is a child of the DUP. The DUP were hell-bound for Brexit and disregarded advice and suggestions from all quarters about the consequences of it. So let's just bear that in mind as we try to meander our way through all, all of this and, you know, it, it is, a, as Michelle O'Neill has said and Marie Lou has said, it is a time for calm uh, leadership. And, and that's for sure. 
But the DUP uh, have been up and down this hill, like the grand old Duke of York, many, 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 many times before. And the lumpen proletariat and the deprived and disadvantaged neighbourhoods and communities of the PUL have always ended up suffering as a consequence. So let's keep it between the ditches, let's keep moving forward and let's ensure that while we seek to work the processes that we're part of, that we also nail the responsibility for the current difficulties and that is with the Democratic Unionist Party. Having said all of that, I'm I'm just I'm just minded, and I I was writing about this recently, of one period in our history which holds lessons for today, and that happened at the end of the 18th century, when Ireland was subject to serious severe economic distress. And there was widespread discrimination against Catholics and Presbyterians and dire poverty across the island, manifested especially in, in, in rural Ireland, but not exclusively so. And once again, England's domination of our island had retarded our economic development. And London was acting, pursuing policies aimed at protecting English economic interests. Now it's not it's not very familiar to us all. So Theobald will tone and facing up to the crisis which the English government had created, he concluded Ireland would never be either free, prosperous or happy until Ireland was independent and that independence was unattainable whilst the connection with England existed. Prophetic words, accurate then, accurate today. And he argued to to break that economic stranglehold and to build a new society, that there needed to be a new relationship between the people of Ireland. And he wrote, The weight of influence in the government of this country is so great as to require a cordial union among all the people of Ireland to maintain that balance which is essential to the preservation of our liberties and the extension of our commerce. Well said. A cordial union is not worth striving for. What about that as an alternative to what is sometimes described as the precious union? And it's nothing of the sort imposed upon us by an English Parliament. And there's a debate around the referendum, around the future, around a United Ireland intensifies, and all the issues of self-governance and self-determination become even more relevant, more mainstream in the public discourse. We, We need to chart a course that ensures that the people of this island are free and prosperous, and happy. And our starting point should be that idea that idea of tones for 
a cordial union between the people of the island as a positive means of achieving the type of New Ireland that we certainly aspire to. And it would be a cordial union in which all of our citizens can live in equality and respect and harmony and which provides an opportunity to reshape the Ireland of today and to end the past divisions and to resolve outstanding differences in the common good. And United Irelanders are reimagining a better Ireland. We, we don't want to join the two parts of the island together or bring all the people of the island together just to continue with the status quo. We want to, through reconciliation and inclusivity, to build a new partnership. So the imperative for the peaceful transition to an agreed Ireland will increasingly depend, as this debate goes on, on mutual respect, on ongoing social and economic stability and security for the whole island and all its people. And the peace process, the Good Friday Agreement, have transformed. All of us acknowledge this, even those who opposed the Good Friday Agreement at the time, have acknowledged that it has transformed the lives of every citizen on the island, especially in the north. But we haven't done enough to end poverty. We haven't done enough to end inequality. We have a lot to do yet to reverse disadvantage and to tackle sectarianism. So how do we create a new Ireland which compromises all of our narratives, embraces all of our cultures, respects all of our languages and excludes no one. How do we do that? We do it by talking, by dialogue, by proactive listening. In the same way that dialogue was needed to end decades of conflict, so dialogue is also needed to reshape Irish society today. And we can't allow those who paint walls with words of hate to dictate the future. The onus is on the Irish government, the political parties, on civic society, on community organisations across the island to consciously address the genuine fears and the concerns of those who are opposed to unity and to do so in a meaningful way. And in conversation, and as good neighbours, we have to explore with our unionist neighbours what they mean by their sense of Britishness. Now, you may ask, well, sure they won't talk about it. Well, that's not strictly true. In private conversation and little personal asides, and increasingly brave people from the broadly unionist perspective have raised their voices and are articulating their hopes and their concerns and their fears about the future. And there will also be other voices, North and South, who will reject being categorised as other nationalists or unionists and whose views must also be given equal attention. 
the debate on a united Ireland on a unity referendum and the future has to be transparent, has to be inclusive. And every voice must be listened to honestly and attentively. And concerns raised must be openly addressed. So in this way we can put in place a process that will allow us all to explore how our island society can agree on common principles of democratic self-determination. Let me restate, the ending of partition on a united Ireland is not the property solely of Sinn Féin, nor indeed of any one grouping or party. It's the property of all. It means all united Irelanders. We shouldn't wait until the political parties or the Irish government engage. Go out and argue, engage with your family, your friends, your workmates, your community. Do it online, do it through social media. Write letters. Support the efforts of whoever you feel most comfortable with to promote a united Ireland. Organise your own conferences. Organise your own forum. Publish your own proposals. There are many groups doing this at the moment. I suppose the leading group, or at least one of the leading groups, is Ireland's future. And there are prominent universities in Ireland, Britain and the USA publishing papers on unity. So there's lots going on. There's lots to do. There's a role and a place for everyone in doing it. And that includes those people who are unionists. So Shane, that's my Gilebjog, Bohunya and Shockton Shaw. Slan, Karja, Fan Sywalta, August B. Bio.